It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And welcome into another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Schusterman, joined as always by the prospect super team of Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And today, Jonathan Mayo, you are Mr. Arizona Fall League. Jonathan, welcome to the show. How are you doing, my friend? I am outstanding. I am in Arizona. It is uh, it is warm. It's a little warmer with the earlier start uh, into the Fall League, but uh, got to see baseball yesterday. And then I spent this morning, one, preparing for this podcast, of course, and two, watching Team Israel beat up on Team Netherlands in Olympic qualifying. That's just an aside. Pin that. We don't even have to talk about that anymore, but I am all fired up today. I'm all in on, on Team Israel, so you, you don't have to sell it to me. Um, but we'll save the international baseball talk uh, for another time. Jim, how are you doing? Uh, were you watching Team Israel? Were you preparing for the podcast? How are you? No, I was working on our One for Each Team story uh, rather than diligently preparing for the podcast. I was listening to uh, the cars in, in honor of the late, great Rick Ocasek rather than watching Team Italy before I came on the air. Uh, you, you mean Team Israel. It's okay. I understand. You're, you're not as tuned in. What did I just say? I said Team Italy. That's how uninvested I was in Team Israel. Israel, Italy. You know, people confuse them all the time. Well, you wouldn't be wrong. Team Italy also playing. So. Well, there you go. So I, I wasn't watching them either. Any any team whose nation begins with an I, I was not watching them today. I was not watching Team Iraq or Team Iran either. We'll have to quiz you on it next time. Uh, me, me and Jonathan will get you up to speed. Uh, on the the Olympic qualification. Um, But we do have some non-niche international baseball to talk about. Obviously, uh, Jonathan, the the first one down to the Arizona Fall League. We're recording this uh, on on Thursday. Opening day was yesterday, so it's not like we have that much to talk about. But Joey Bart with the Giants hit two home runs. I don't know how many games you actually saw, but I mean, how how cool is it to just be at the Arizona League? Just make us all jealous. I, I know people think I'm everywhere, but since all three games are all at the same time, I could only get to one game. It was not the Joey Bart game but I was you know I did see that on game day I was in Salt River last night and it was a tremendous amount of fun uh, as it always is the game was a little messy and, and but it was still honestly just watching batting practice when you're in the fall league is a treat uh, because one of the best things about the Arizona Fall League is seeing this much talent on the field at one time so just watching Peoria take batting practice seeing O'Neill Cruz and Julio Rodriguez uh, in the same group, you know, and then Luis Campusano. And I actually uh, tweeted out, uh, you know, O'Neill Cruz had the most impressive BP. I mean, Julio Rodriguez, everything he hits is hard. Just listening to it was was fun. But O'Neill Cruz hit three balls that were just insane. And if you look at Salt River Fields, they have the batter's eye. Then there are like three levels of cacti. And I'm not just saying this so I could use the correct plural form of cactus. He hit a ball above the three levels that hit the building that's beyond the thing above the batter's eye. I've never seen a ball hit that far at Salt River. And uh, so that was pretty insane. Uh, the game itself was, you know, was just okay. Gerard and Carnacion hit a ball out. Marcus Wilson of the Red Sox, a guy I like personality-wise, had a few hits. Um, so it was you know fun day all around uh, to uh, – 
to get going, although I'm still struggling to shift time zone wise. Right. And, uh, and later on at the end of this uh, episode, you're going to hear a couple interviews uh, that Jonathan did with a couple fall leaguers, Daniel Tillo with the Royals and Trey Harris with the Braves. So uh, we'll have Jonathan set those up later. But yeah, I mean, batting practice just seems like a blast. And, and O'Neill Cruz, he looks taller than everybody else by, by a significant margin, taller than all the pitchers too. Uh, yeah. The, the best was watching him standing next to Corey Wimberly, who's the manager, and he's a 5'8". Jim, I don't know if you remember Corey Wimberly. Very small guy. So, yeah, just seeing them, even watching, they took infields, you know, and like every other middle infielder is, you know, middle infield height. And O'Neill Cruz, who he made a throwing error during the game and during infield practice, though. I was sitting there talking to a, a, a good friend of ours, Tom Allison, uh, from the Seattle Mariners, scouting executive. And we were just talking about, you know, long-levered guys and whether they can play shortstop. And then they were doing balls in, in the hole, and we're standing there watching him. And he took a ball in the hole made the transfer, his entire body's going towards third base, and he threw it as if he had planted his foot and like just a zip across the field. And that's why you think he might be able to play shortstop. It was uh, it was really fun to watch, to see how he can make all the arms and legs that he has work at a position where a guy that size shouldn't really be able to play. Right, and I was going to say, as, as fun as a BP sounds, I would, for Cruz specifically, I would be just as interested to see him take infield. Yeah, obviously, you got you got the best of both worlds there. Jim, I, I, look, the FOMO is killing me. I don't know how much it's, it's killing you right now. So uh, I, I want to open up the conversation. I, I'm doing okay because I know I'm getting there twice where you were talking before we came on the air. You may not make it there at all. Right, I'm going to be all right too. But I do want to open up the discussion a bit uh, because we've had a lot of stuff uh, on the site, obviously wrapping up the minor league season pitcher and, and, and hitter of the year for each team get it being handed out everyone loves top 100 prospect list we have the final final updated uh, top 100 list and, and i believe 20 uh, of the top 100 are participating in the arizona fall league i'm sure maybe we'll have some guys uh, drop in and out of that but i did want to touch on on some of the, the biggest movers and shakers in the in the final top 100 of the season obviously we, we've been talking all year long on this podcast about how many graduates uh, we've had feels like like an unusually high number so a lot of guys a lot of new names coming in so jim i'll start with you um maybe pick a name that we've seen on this moving up list uh guys that, that made the biggest jumps from off the list or from farther down the list uh that are now top 100 guys uh, i have a couple names i think we haven't we haven't really talked about that much on this list that i could ask about but anyone stand out to you um i think the biggest jump anyone made who was on the list and just to clarify too um because we get a lot of twitter questions so i don't think people always read the the setups to our articles when we're explaining what we're doing this wasn't our january or july where we totally revote on the whole thing we will overhaul the whole top 100 in january and we'll have a show on mlv network and then a month into the season then early june We'll do kind of tweaks where we'll move guys. I think our general rule of thumb is you have to move guys up or down 10 spots. We're not just moving a guy up two spots. We do revote on the top 15. Then we do an overhaul, total overhaul in July, adding all the draft guys and international guys as needed. And then we do this tweak. It's kind of our, our final tweak to the list it's going into the off season. Um, so, so just having explained that, but the guy who made the biggest jump, and, and we've talked about him on the podcast a bunch. I know he's a favorite of yours, Jordan, and I think Jonathan's as well, and mine, is Julio Rodriguez went up 25 spots from number 51 to number 26. And, you know, I mean, this was a guy who, you know, yes, small sample size, but made it to high class A at age 18 and hit 462 in three weeks with an ops over 1250. Um, I just think this guy is going to be a massive offensive star. 
I think he probably winds up in right field when all is said and done. And, and, you know, the nice thing is Jonathan mentioned, he got to see him in the fall league, you know, yesterday and uh, you know, he'll be there, you know, as one of the, he, is he the youngest guy in the league, Jonathan? Do we know? I believe he was the youngest when, when the rosters first came out, I, unless someone else has, has topped him. I'm pretty sure he is the youngest. Yeah. I think he's the youngest. He's younger than Luis Garcia, right? Yeah. Barely by like a few months. So yeah, those two. Garcia was the only other guy that I thought of that might, might have been in that neck of the woods, but yeah. And Jonathan, uh, obviously now down in the Arizona Fall League, we just mentioned Luis Garcia, uh, one of the other youngest ones. Now, Julio Rodriguez, uh, he moved all the way up. Luis Garcia was one of the guys that moved down on the top 100, moving from, from 76 to 92. Uh, so where, where are we feeling about him? I mean, he was 19 in AA, so it's hard to get too to get too worried uh, about the line there. But, but how are we feeling about Luis Garcia? Or do they have another amazing prospect on their hands? They've had Robles and Soto lately, but, but where are we at on, on Luis Garcia? Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because I had a chance to talk to him uh, a little bit through an interpreter. Don't anyone get excited thinking that I suddenly learned Spanish. I do think that you need to give a little bit of a, a mulligan just because of, you know, how young he is. He just he didn't impact the baseball quite in the same way that that he did in 2018 uh, when he was making his full season debut. He lost plate discipline a little bit. He even talked a little bit about that, that he needs to, you know, work on sort of refining his approach and, and things like that. He, he was a little bit better in the second half of, of, of the season. So, I mean, listen, the good thing, if you're the Nats, he's 19. You could send him back to Harrisburg, to double A, and it's not like he's suddenly behind the curve age-wise, you know, totally acceptable if he has to repeat. But he could have a good fall league, and that could put him in triple A, and we're talking about a guy who still could get to the big leagues, you know, right around his 20th birthday. Um, And clearly, as we saw with Juan Soto, don't hesitate uh, in – promoting guys yeah and i also think juan soto has just really spoiled all of us let alone nationals fans as he you know came up and just crushed at 19 so that doesn't mean luis garcia is still not really young so i think we need, we need to be uh, definitely patient and not not assume that everybody can be juan soto uh jim i want to ask about one other guy back to the moving up list uh is is, is trevor larnick who uh, was a first round pick uh, last year, one of the heroes of the College World Series, but I feel like he he hasn't been getting that much love. He was, I believe, in, in Florida State League for mo- most of the season, but has he done uh, roughly what you've expected to do in pro ball? It's, it looks about what a what a first-round college hitter should be doing, but I just feel like he hasn't been getting a, as much love as, as maybe he would be for a guy who is a very, very famous college baseball player. Do you have any thoughts on Mr. Larnick? I think he's gotten the appropriate amount of love. I mean, I, I like him. I, I think he's kind of your classic right field tools profile, and he lived up to that. I mean, that said, he hit 13 home runs this year. It wasn't like he went out and hit, you know, 26 home runs. And, you know, so, I mean, I, I think you you see him taking steps towards becoming, you know, the, the player he can become, but he's not a finished product yet. You know, he did hit the ball consistently throughout the year, you know, played well, you know, showed more power, more home run power when he went up to double A at the end of the year. But yeah, he's, uh, you know, I think it was a very nice first full season for him. I mean, he's had a, a pretty steady development path where he's produced it at all four levels of the minors he's been at, uh, you know, in his two years as a pro. And Jonathan, I want to give you another new moving down. Uh, we, we've talked a little about Tarek Skubal a little bit earlier this year. We talked about uh, Julio Rodriguez. You mentioned Evan White with the Mariners. We've had Dylan Carlson 
uh, on this podcast before. Um, let's talk about uh, Christian Robinson. I feel like we talked about it coming into the season, um, but now that the season is over and he, he made it to, to full season ball, is he feels like another guy who, who could just totally explode up this list um, next year in the same way that Julio Rodriguez did this year. Is that kind of a projection that we could see for, for Robinson? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the Bahamian baseball pipeline, you know, we've talked to Chisholm, we've had him on the podcast. Uh, Lucius Fox has gotten a lot of attention, but if I remember even like last fall when both of those guys were here, if you talk to either of them about Christian Robinson, especially with Robinson's power potential, they, they, they would almost talk in like hushed tones. It was as confident as both of them were in their ability. I think both of them sort of think that Robinson might be the best player now he doesn't play, you know, he doesn't play shortstop. So it's not really like a head-to-head thing like Jazz and and, and Lucius uh, had going. But they said that watching Robinson, you know, take BP was just insane. Jazz and, and Robinson were in the in the D-backs system together until Chisholm got traded to the Marlins. So he, he, you know, he got to see firsthand, but he did a lot of really good things. Uh, even if he struggled a little bit once he got to midseason ball, still... 14 homers and 17 steals in 69 games. He, and he's going to he's gonna get bigger. I, I don't know if the steals are going to – I don't know if he's going to continue to run like that. He'll probably slow down. But he, he looks every bit like the kind of guy who's going to turn into one of these power-hitting, run-producing corner outfielders uh, who can run a little bit and throw. Uh, I, I was pleased that we got him on to the top 100 now, and I think – that uh, you know, next year, assuming he probably goes back to the Midwest League to start the year, uh, unless he just takes off and you know gets a lot bigger during the off season or something like that, he could start moving. He could start moving pretty quickly. And keep in mind that he doesn't turn 19 until December. Yeah, same as uh, as Rodriguez, I believe. They're kind of on the same timeline. And I would say, I know that this fall league just started. He seems like a good 2020 folly candidate if everything if everything goes well uh, for Mr. Robinson. Uh, all right. So, Jim, uh, we had a little passionate discussion uh, before we started podcasting on, on one of the articles uh, that you had up on Pipeline uh, earlier this week. I want to make sure that you can, can get some feelings off your chest. And I think whenever you rank anything or anybody, any player, especially in this wide world of baseball, some people are, are going to be a little bit upset. So if you took a look at the ranking the rookies, who has the best future value among all the rookies who graduated or, or I think who are, are going to graduate this season, uh, so not anyone on the on the top hundred prospect list um, that we already have. Uh, there, there maybe maybe some surprises on here. So Jim, I, w- I want you to talk about what was your process for putting this list together and why uh, some people might be surprised to see someone like Pete Alonso a little bit lower than than a guy who's going to hit fifty homers in the movies. Now I'm I'm not taking any sides here. I'm I'm just I just want to give you a platform to kind of explain your thinking uh, on on a list like this. Yeah, I don't know if I need a, a platform, but no article I write during the year gets more people as angry as this article, and I. I think a lot of times people don't read the introduction or understand what we're trying to do here. We're not ranking who had the best rookie year. Because, yes, I know Brian Reynolds or Kevin Newman might win the batting title. But you're, you're basing this on who's going to have the best career going forward from now. And this year's performance does matter. So does track record. And so does age. And, you know, I've had people say, oh, you know, how can you have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. number one? You know, he's, he's not, you know, so-and-so is having a much better ops than has a much better ops than he does. 
Well, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is 20, and the guy you're talking about might be 24, 25 years old. So that's four more extra years that Guerrero gets a future value, and that matters. So um, it, it's fine. It, it's just like I get more tweets and more emails from people who, who accuse me of having personal biases against their team or never watching baseball. And, you know, I mean, you could argue with the top 100. I mean, you know, just like we did at the beginning of the season, if somebody wants to make a case that you'd rather have Fernando Tatis Jr. going forward than Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you, know, you could make that case. You know, I, I, like, I, I'm not saying that the, these guys are all set in stone, but you just get so many people, you know, angry. You know, oh, you know, how can you have Mike Soroka only number nine on the list was one. Well, the nine, eight guys I have ahead of them are Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., Jordan Alvarez, Eloy Jimenez, Bo Bichette, Keston Hira, Victor Robles, and Pete Alonso. Those are pretty good players. Now, I mean, Soroka probably will wind up, you know, with the nature of these lists being better than a couple of them. But, I, you know, if right now, like, I would take those eight guys over Mike Soroka going forward. So I'm curious, and, and this question also goes to you, Jonathan. Of this list, um, I mean, this is how you rank them, and I think there's a lot of, you know, obviously logic and reason behind uh, keeping the larger perspective. But if there is a name that maybe their season this year has made a, a big impression on you uh, on this list, is, is does someone stand out as someone that maybe you have jumped up a little bit versus what you expect this list would look like at the beginning of the year? I, to me, it's Jordan Alvarez, who I think, you know, we all saw him, you know, crush uh, at, at every level of the minors and then even this season before he got called up but he's the name that I feel like has legitimately made a leap and made us believe like oh wait this is he is every bit as good uh, as as he looked uh, in the minor leagues um, so is, is there someone who has made a significant impression on you this season that made you push push them up yeah I mean you know and Alvarez is interesting because it's like I was trying to find little nuggets on some of these guys and, and when I wrote this and it may have changed slightly the only four players who are as young as Alvarez and has many plate appearances, and he, at the time he had a 178 ops plus, <laughs> only four guys have had that young have had a season where they had a better season than that. And they were Ted Williams, Bryce Harper, Ty Cobb, and Mike Trout. So that was kind of eye-opening. But I think for me, the guy might be Will Smith. I, I was having a hard time getting a handle on exactly what I thought he was offensively. I mean, he's, he's a great receiver, and I thought he'd be at least – a defensive minded backup, but like he hadn't really hit. I think his career average was around 230 or 240 coming into the year. And, you know, and again, the balls are jacked up. So got to take these numbers a little bit of a grain of salt. But I mean, he tied Reese Hoskins' big league record by homering 12 times in his first 28 games in the majors after homering nine times in three years at Louisville. Um, so I, I think Alvarez on the high end of this list and then towards the middle, you know, Will Smith, you know, who was. Jonathan, I don't think he was on our preseason top 100, was he? No, I think I feel like he was always like just on the outside. And he was on it at one point last year, and then he slumped, and we took him off. And then he made it once the season got going. Like I have him 14th on the list, and I think everybody ahead of him ranked in the upper third of the top 100 coming into the season. So I think he's made a, a really huge leap. Like like he would be the guy who, who's made, and then for a guy who probably ranked the lowest on any top 30 would be Zach Gallen, but he's just gotten more consistent. And he's like the only pitcher it seemed who had a good year in triple a, and he's had some success in the big leagues too. So Zach Gallen, who's toward the end of the list was probably the lowest ranked guy off the top of my head coming into the year, you know, within an organization top 30. Yeah. It's funny. You, you kind of picked the guys that I would have thrown in there. Will Smith jumped out at me as the as guy who made the, the biggest leap. And then at the the back end, Gallon, mostly because we you know we started hearing from Marlins fans 
God bless them who now care so much about their farm system. We hear from them almost as much as as Braves fans, but maybe Luis Arreyes is another guy who I always kind of liked. You know, he was one of the one of these guys who hit for average but didn't do anything else in the minors and then got hurt, but all he's done is hit. And I have a feeling that he's going to continue to hit. Um, and, you know, I was I was glad he snuck him in there down uh, down at the, the very tail end. And, you know, Kevin Newman is a guy who – Honestly, like as a prospect, like he didn't impress me that much. He didn't produce all that much in the minors, but he's performed much better as a big leaguer. Um, you know, we've all seen guys that do that. So I'm curious to see how and if he maintains that uh, in Pittsburgh. You know, one of the older guys uh, down at the bottom of that list, but those are the guys that sort of stood out to me as, you know, who snuck into that top 30 when I don't know that we would thought we would be, you know, talking about them at all. Uh, in this kind of conversation, yeah. See, CJ, we can still have a, a reasonable conversation. I, I think it's it's good to to kind of think about like, all right, what what does it take to you know change the opinion of someone uh, in in just a season at the major league level? I think it is a, a fun exercise, albeit I understand a little bit frustrating uh, when people don't read the intro. Well, I mean, I got killed. You know, why isn't Mike Yastrzemski on this list? Well, Mike Yastrzemski's twenty eight years old. And he had no track record of performance before this year. And, I mean, it's a cool story, and it was cool seeing him homer at Fenway Park. But I'm sorry, you know, just because he's got 21 or 22 homers, I'm not taking him over Cole Tucker. Nick Anderson. Nick Anderson's been one of the best relievers in baseball. I mean, I don't know what's – I don't know. I don't think I have any relievers on this list. I'll tell you the hardest guy to rank on this list is Alex Reyes. Oh, my goodness. Right, because he – because he, he graduated this year, finally, after being a prospect. Yeah, like, and he missed, what was he, one-third of an inning shy of graduating before this year, Jonathan, or two-thirds of an inning? He was right at 50 innings. He needed to get one out. The second he got one out, and thankfully he stayed healthy enough to do that. Barely. Like, he barely stayed healthy. Yeah. Hey, you know, the one interesting thing, I'll ask myself a question and answer it right here. Um, when I wrote this, it did not look like Kyle Tucker would graduate. And then he had six at-bats on Sunday, and now he's ahead of pace to graduate by like an at-bat or two. And I would probably put Kyle Tucker, I I think I would say, like right around Alex Verdugo and Nick Senzel, like at 10 or 11 on the list is about where I'd I really wanted to come into the podcast and be like, how could you possibly put player X behind player Y? Oh, I've, I've gotten every permutation of that question from just about every player on this list. Mental note, I will not be taking this story from you ever. My, my frustration comes from, like, I, I have no problem. If you rank things, you should be able to explain why you do it. But I just get bombarded by people who obviously have not read the article. Just look at the order. They look at the order. How could you put Cole Tucker one spot ahead of Kevin Newman? I, I think Cole Tucker is going to be a better player and he's three years younger. I agree with that. So. But, but, you know, Kevin Newman might win the batting title this year. You know, Aristides Aquino isn't on here. You know, how, how dare I? But like, again, you know, he hits home runs. That's his pretty much all his value. And I don't, I, I'll go on the limb and say, I don't hitting a home run every 10 at bats. Um, like he did at the start of his career. Um, and then I, I take all these guys over. I need more optimism from you, Mr. Callis. I need, I, I want to believe that Aquino is, is the kid who only hit homers that one Matt Christopher book was. I think it was fascinating. Also, as I said earlier, um, honestly, let's, let's just enjoy the fact that we have so many good rookies to choose from. I mean, this is, we are very fortunate to have, to have so many players under 25 that are going to be around for a long time, uh, that we will, we will see how wrong or right Jim is. I just look at this well, real quick, Jordan. It's like Nick Senzel, I think, was what, Jonathan, like number five or six on our top 100 coming into the year? 
like uh, of all prospects, not, you know, who's going to be up there, number five or six prospect in all of baseball. And he's only number 11 on this list. I I think people are always surprised and maybe you get a little myopic looking at your hometown team and the rookie who's playing well for him. Uh, But like, there's a lot of good players most years who graduate off the prospect list. Right. These are good problems to have. I guess that's my main point. Like, let's just appreciate that we have so many uh, guys to argue about. But if you disagree with Jim, make a note on it. Don't don't send Jim an angry tweet or, you know, like, let's let's leave him alone, but save it. And then if you're right in 10 years, then you can tweet it at him. How about that? Is that is that fair? It's too late. It's too late for that now. I've already received my share of angry tweets and emails, but it's it's fine. There's going to be some new app or platform. Oh, that's a great point. That's a great point. Why I would think that, that Twitter would still be the way we, we're communicating. Um, uh, so uh, before we get out of here uh, and send it to our interviews, I guess, I guess uh, Jonathan, I'll just have you uh, preview uh, uh, the two fall leaders that you talked to. I mean, you've, you've already talked to a, a ton, and I'm sure we'll be hearing uh, a few few more from them here on the podcast. You should check all these interviews out uh, on, on LB Pipeline. But, but who, who are we going to hear from uh, at the end of this episode? Yeah, we do one interview per organization, and it was great. I was able to knock out 20 of them before games even started, uh, you know, during workouts. And uh, I thought it would be interesting because uh, as we record this on Thursday, we're going to have a story tomorrow, the the one for each team feature that Jim talked about that he was working on and I was finishing up also was uh, a sleeper prospect for each organization, not necessarily the, the top guy or the guy who gets written about the most or has the highest expectations. And, I talked to two of the guys who will be in, in that, that story. Uh, one is Trey Harris of the Braves, who has, when you listen to the interview, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of understand why. Like He's now one of my, my favorite guys, just a, an unbelievable guy to, to, to talk to, at least an 80 talker on the 20 to 80 scouting scale. But it's just an unbelievable story. I mean, the guy doesn't get drafted after his junior year goes late as a senior son for $10,000 and then hits his way to double A in his first full season as in the Arizona Fall League. Oh, he homered on Wednesday. So that that's one. And then the, the Royals guy on that sleeper list is Daniel Tillo, uh, who was a really good two-sport standout in high school, uh, was a, a major basketball player, uh, ended up going the junior college route, uh, big, strong, athletic lefty, Struggle with command, uh, was really good talking uh, about that. Pitched out of the bullpen at the end of the year, partially to sort of monitor his innings. He was up around 130 innings this year. But also to kind of get a look at what that's going to look like. He's going to be pitching out of the bullpen in the fall league. Uh, the stuff is going to tick up that way too. So two two very interesting interviews, two sleeper picks to show that it's not just all about the high-profile guys that we love to, to see and check out in the fall league, but also – uh, guys like Harris and Tillo, who uh, you know are maybe more scratching and clawing their way up the ladder. Well, there you go. Well, uh, uh, Jim and Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me. Jonathan, enjoy Smoky Hot Arizona Fall League. Uh, Jim, thank you for joining me as always. For for Jim and Jonathan, I'm your host Jordan Schusterman, and enjoy these wonderful interviews with Daniel Tillo and Trey. Harris. Talk to you guys next week. You've thrown a lot of innings this year. Were you at all surprised that the Royals asked you to to, to come out here and work a little bit more in the fall league? Um, not really. Just an opportunity to get better and uh, work on my slider more. That's kind of the main reason why I'm out here is to try to try to perfect that and uh, just get more consistent with that and more consistent with my delivery and 
just uh, added innings too. So I'm excited to be here. You know, you, you did make it up to Double A, so this is you know sort of along the same path in terms of upper upper level hitters. What have you heard about this league in terms of the challenges, especially for pitchers? And, and how excited are you to to see how your stuff plays against some of these guys? Yeah, it, it'll be tough. Uh, so so much talent here, uh, pitching and hitting. Um, I'm really excited for it. Double uh, A was a lot of fun, but there, I mean, there's some dudes here too. Um, I'm just I'm ecstatic to get going. Uh, our first game is tomorrow. And, I can't wait. Let's talk a little bit about that jump from, from A ball to double A. A lot of people talk about that being the toughest one. You actually threw well once you got to double A. What were some of the differences that you saw in terms of the competition you were facing? Yeah, I actually did better in double A than I did high, which is kind of funny. Uh, they just have better approaches. The hitters have better approaches. They don't swing at uh, your stuff. You know, when you, they don't chase as much, I should say, compared to high A. Um, it just strikes don't get smaller. You just got to be a little bit better with everything you do as you move up levels. And uh, I was better in double A than I was high. So, yeah, it seemed that things clicked for you a little bit more. Was it just a matter of you started to find a groove in terms of executing? A, you know, everything I've heard of you is that the stuff is really good. Execution of pitches is what he needs to work on, and it looks, at least from the numbers, that that started to click into place a little bit more for you. Yeah, it's always just been consistency with me, just finding that that feel for my my pitches. Uh, my fastball's always been really really good, just but consistency with with it is kind of what I've always been fighting. And this year, I was just in a groove. I, once the first half ended and I started the second half, I was in a groove the rest of the year, and it, it was awesome. And yeah, I. I can't say much more about that. I know one thing that you strive to continue to work on is your command, finding the strike zone more consistent. That's part of the consistency thing. What are you doing in terms of it? Is it just a matter of repeating your delivering your arm slot, things like that? Take us through a little bit about how you try to mature as, as a pitcher as opposed to a guy who just has good stuff and chucks it up there. Yeah, for sure. Um, mine's always been my arm slot, actually. Um, on the Rapsodo numbers, I was lower, a lot lower last year, more inconsistent with all my pitches. And this year, there's just a few inches within all my pitches. So it was a huge jump with that, just being more consistent with uh, my four seam, uh, my slider, and my changeup. Everything was just a lot more similar with the tunneling and just more repetition with it. It was just a, a huge jump for me this year doing all of that. You know, there's a lot of talk pitching wise now about spin rates and pitching up in the zone, maybe to sort of offset guys with launch angle, but your ground ball rate is kind of insane. So uh, I would imagine that you're still you know, throwing balls that get down and in and hitters. Are you in on the whole spin rate thing, or are you perfectly happy getting ground balls to get out of innings? Uh, I'll do whatever it is to get outs. Uh, my spin rate was is high on my four seam, actually, but when I throw my sinker, that's was my ground ball pitch. And when I came out of the bullpen, I was throwing pretty hard, too. And I actually struck out uh, more than the K per nine or one per nine or whatever it is when I came out of the bullpen. So. Uh, I can do that out of the bullpen, or I can start and get ground balls and go late in the games doing that. So, That's my last question for you, because I think there has been debate ever since you came out what your ultimate role is. And now you've gotten a taste of, oh, it's kind of fun to come out of the bullpen and just let it rip and, and, and strike guys out. Are, are, are you a, like, I, I really rather start kind of guy? Or, hey, if it gets me to the big leagues, like, how much fun did you have in changing a role, even if that was something that you didn't think you would be interested in? Yeah. Um, I just ran away with it a little bit. I was I was excited for it um, since I was, knew I was doing it here. Uh, I was looking forward to it. Uh, 
I was just kind of letting it eat when I came out of the bullpen more. My velo jumped. Uh, my slider actually got sharper, just ripping it and all that stuff. But like you said, I just, at the end, it's what I can do in the big leagues uh, and help the Kansas City Royals out and not really the minor leagues as much. So, I guess the most important question is, are you the best basketball player in the organization? 100%. You didn't even hesitate. I did not. No, I'll take anyone one-on-one. <laughs> all right, Daniel, thanks very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Trey, um, it's been kind of a crazy year for you. And then the Braves say, you know what, we want you to keep going, keep riding this train and, and ask you to come to Folly. What did it mean to you that they saw enough in you during the year to, to send you out here to participate in this league? Honestly, it was a blessing. Um, it's always an adjustment, you know, with baseball, everything seems to happen last minute. So, you know, having to tell some people close to me that I wasn't going to be able to be home right away was was an adjustment. But we're all riding the wave. And I just think it's really nice that your uh, your employer likes you. And, you know, everyone loves that their boss uh, uh, thinks highly of them. So I'm just blessed and happy. If someone had told you after last, you know, last year coming out of college with everything that you went through just to get noticed, that you would play across three levels, double A, and then come to the Fall League. Would you have even believed them? No way. I think uh, uh, Justin Dean being one of my best friends, we talk about it all the time. Like, last year we were just happy to get to Rome being low A. Like, we actually made it affiliate ball. But, you know, to have the wave that we've had and um, what I've been doing this year, I just try to pinch myself every now and again and make sure I'm not dreaming. I would imagine you don't want to pinch yourself too much, right, because you don't want to wake up from it. Exactly. I just want to keep riding it as long as I can, just keep doing all the little things that I'm doing. I talk to my parents as much as I can, just try to stay humble and stay after it. Now, obviously, you've always had confidence in yourself and a belief. That's why you sort of kept grinding through it. Were there times when you just you couldn't get playing time, you couldn't get noticed, that you, you wonder, like, is it, is it worth it? Honestly, yes, multiple times. Uh, the first big one was when I was in high school, and all my friends literally seemed like every one of my best friends got drafted out of high school, and I had to go to college. And then junior year, it seemed like everybody else was getting drafted. All right, Trey, you got to go back for a senior year. And then I get drafted. I'm on top of the world, and they send me the GCL where I'm 22, playing with 16-year-olds, splitting time, playing two, three days a week. And then I'm hitting 140 for the first month, so I'm sitting there like, what is going on? Like, maybe I should start selling insurance. You know, I'm a good talker. Might as well sell bundle deals like Flo does. But, you know, um, it's been cool. And, and then when some something good happens, it makes it all worth it, and you realize it's just a part of the story and the journey, and it's it's well worth it. Is that one of the things that help you, you know, not take things for granted with what happened this year? Again, yes, you're confident. I would imagine getting promoted once, twice, fine. But like, did you realize because of of that backstory that you realize like you have no idea, you know more than any that it could turn at any moment oh more than anything like honestly being invited to the fall league has made me want to grind way harder in the offseason like I I think there's another level that I want to get to mentally and physically and I think the success has just shown me that if you do work hard it will repay you because I think a, a lot of big people's fears if they work hard and they fail but um, I worked my butt off and I and I got some a great reward so I'm just trying to take it to the next level is there a certain part of you that is motivated from not being noticed, you know, like, is there a chip on your shoulder that you, you're enjoying maybe proving some people wrong? I think the best part is proving people wrong. Um, and my dad has kind of shifted my mindset to start proving people right. You know, all the people that believed in me, you know, start um, have them, you know, really benefiting from what we got going on as a group, as a family, friends, everyone that's been close with me. But the chip never leaves. Um, I'm a 5'8", chunky kid from Powder Springs, Georgia, and it doesn't go away. We always have something to prove, and that's what it is. Like, my time isn't done until I can say I retired the right way on my note. So that's my plan. 
that's sort of icing on the cake that it was your home team in Atlanta that drafted you and actually gave you an opportunity when fewer, even if you had to go to the GCL and grind it out there. You know, can you? I know you try not to look too far ahead, but Double A Fall League, a lot of guys make to the big leagues. Have you taken a second just to think about what that moment might be like? Maybe as soon as next year, if if it continues going this way, that you get to Atlanta to play for your hometown team. Honestly. Every time I think about it, it kind of gets me all choked up because I, I went to Turner Field Games when tickets were $3. We sat in the nosebleeds and kind of found our way behind the plate when no one was going to the games. Like, I've always loved baseball, and I've always loved Braves baseball. And to play in SunTrust, and um, last week when we got to walk around, just walk around the locker room, and I got to meet Billy Hamilton, talk to Charlie Culverson, like, those guys are people I look up to, and just to have the opportunity to share the field, I'll probably cry a lot, and I won't sleep the night before whenever it happens, but it's just really been a blessing, and I'm just so happy. All right, Trey, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.